And we are in Hebrews chapter 5, continuing on in the sermon series, Let Us Draw Near. That's page 1003 if you're using Pew Bible this morning. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This is the word of the Lord. As you can see, we're going to move back into the text of Hebrews. We've been walking through that book, and I hope that you've been able to be with us for most of those times. If not, there are certainly um, archives on the webpage where you can fill in some of those blanks. But we want to continue now to move through Hebrews. But before we move into maybe is one of the most difficult passages of all of Hebrews over the next weeks, I want to take you back to two weeks ago when I was here and we spoke from the preceding passage. Um, I don't know about you, but, uh, but this, this text has been rich for me. It was rich for me that particular morning as I laid it out because some words just, just came off of the page for me like they had never before in this book and particularly in this passage. Um, they're the words that you find there in verse 7 right at the end, but just three words, three words that say this, he was heard. Speaking of Jesus, he was heard. It goes on to say, because of his reverence. So the immediate context of that, Jesus was heard by the Father and helped by the Father to to endure the suffering and to live perfectly for us and then to die. You know, Jesus had to die for us, but he had to live perfectly. He had to be the perfect Adam because the first Adam had failed, the second Adam came and he was victorious and and he was heard. He was heard in the midst of his agony of living for us so that he could be a perfect sacrifice for us perfectly. But there's a deeper meaning there. And I hope that's what strengthens you as well. He goes on being heard. I have hope today, as I stand in this pulpit of eternal life, because he was heard. He was heard when he cried out in the midst of the struggle to be perfect and to remain perfect and to be a perfect sacrifice. But he goes on being heard and will be going on being heard for all eternity future. He is being heard as he pleads for all of those he came to save. That's a powerful text. A a number of years ago, I said this a couple of weeks ago, the the words, it is finished, jumped out of of scripture to me when Jesus was on the cross and those three words, it's finished. It's finished. I've done everything that's needed. You can rest in my accomplishments. It's the same thing. 
He's heard. It, 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 is, it is important in one sense that we are heard, but the only reason we can be heard is because he was heard. If God does not hear the Son, we have no hope. But he does hear the Son, and we can savor that text, and I hope you do. Um, the first Adam failed. The second Adam was heard because he succeeded. And he goes on being heard. And there's no third Adam. We've said that before. There's no third Adam. Christianity does not teach there's a first Adam who failed, a second Adam who's heard, and then there's a third Adam. There's a first one that was not heard because he was not confirmed in righteousness. He didn't do it perfectly. Had Adam been confirmed in righteousness, all the human race would have been confirmed in righteousness. But he didn't. God did not hear him. He banished him from the garden. But a second Adam comes, and he is faithful to the end. And God hears him. God hears him. The next time your sin accuses you, be reminded that God hears the Son for your sin. He hears the work of the Son for your sin. I pray you'll savor it. Now let's move into the text. The text this morning begins in verse 11 and actually goes all the way through the end of chapter 6. We're not going to take all of that this morning, but that's the section over the next weeks that we are going to look at. And uh, it is not an easy text. Um, It is not easy in one sense to understand all of the flow of thought, but it's not an easy text on another dimension because it says some hard things. This text says some incredibly hard things and, and we need to hear them. In fact, a commentator, Raymond Brown, who writes in the series by John Stott. Some of you were in my Sunday school class this morning heard about John Stott. But John Stott is the editor of this series. But listen to the quote that John Brown makes about this particular section of Scripture. This, this third warning. Hebrews has an ebb and flow to it, if you've not been with us. And the ebb and flow is that he, he lifts up and magnifies Christ and the work of Christ by saying things like he was heard. And then he gives warning. And then he lifts up Christ and he gives warning. And he lifts up Christ and he gives warning. He does that five times, the warnings come. This is the third of five in this particular text. And this is what this particular commentator writes about this section of warning. And I quote him. He said, It is probably true to say that these warnings here and elsewhere in Hebrews have caused more uncertain excuse me, more unnecessary anxiety to believers than almost any other verses in the New Testament. Aware of moral failure or spiritual apathy, thoughtful people the world over have been haunted by these passages, some driven to despair at the thought that having neglected or forsaken Christ, they have forfeited forever the blessings of the gospel. It is not an easy text, and there is danger of being misunderstood as we walk through this text. And so, because of that, right up front, I want to make a point and a statement and say some things. So that if you hear me saying something different than this in this text, it's not what I'm saying. And what I want to say to you is that it is my fundamental belief that a true believer in Christ, in other words, one who has been born again, and by that what I mean is has passed from spiritual death to spiritual life, 
that happens in a moment of time when they see the glory of Christ and, and they are brought to life. And what was dead to them has now life. And we don't always know exactly when that moment is. Some of you know exactly the moment that the glory of Christ just broke in upon you and you saw it and you know that you came to life. And others of you know you have life, but you don't know exactly when that moment is exactly. But I'm here to say that for one in which that has happened, they will not be lost. They will not forfeit that. If you've come to life, you are alive and will remain alive by the grace of God. And so you need to know that. You need to hear that. There are texts that support that. There are texts that I want to read to you this morning that fortify that. Texts, I don't just pull that out of, the, out of thin air, but I stand on texts like this. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure, Paul's writing of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now, the key is God has begun that work, the work that I just defined as coming from spiritual death to spiritual life. The promise that Paul gives to the Philippian believers is that he will complete what he has started. And then if you go to John chapter 10, Jesus himself in these verses says this, in speaking of his sheep, he says, I give them, my sheep, eternal life, And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. There are multitudes of other texts that we could have brought forward here, but those are two. Two that I hang on to. Two that, that I hold on to as the promises of God. The hope that God is faithful and is faithful. But there is a place, I say that with this in mind as well, there is a place, and I think that's what Hebrews is about. There is a place for us to hear warning, for the church to hear warning, because of this fact, and this is the fact, that all that make up the church don't fall into that first category. There are some who are in the church, and I say the church universal, the church in general, around the world. There are some in the church who make profession who are truly not born again, who have not come to life in Christ. And these kinds of texts are for them, that that they would hear them and be shaken out of that deadness to life. And and the balance of what I just read to you comes in verses like this in Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 where it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election. First John 2.19, it says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they were not of us. They were not of us. And the evidence is that, that they went out. Um, it's clear that there, and all of us have experiences, just on the, on the rudimentary level of we know people who at times have made up the church, been part of the church body collectively, who no longer are here and, and no longer make profession of their faith. In fact, in many cases are, are uh, denying their faith openly. 
Scripture is plain to say here in First John that if that's the case, they, they, they are not of us because they never were part of us. They were not part. They were not born again. They were not having life. Other texts, even more close to the book of Hebrews, texts that we've talked about, a couple of different ones in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Look at it again. It says, we are his house. We are his house. In other words, we are in the kingdom. We have been born again. We have been brought to life. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. Another place it says in verse 14 of the same chapter, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So there are texts that talk about the fact that we need to have passages. We need to have warning sections like this. And there's a place to examine ourselves and to make sure that our confidence and our boast, our confession, our boast are in him. And we don't grow dull of that. Now, the question, how can, how can there be conditional clauses? We talked about that on the first Sunday of this month as we came to communion. I, I made a couple of comments about the conditional clauses that we just said, where it says, if we are his house, we are his house, if indeed we hold fast. And the other one that says, for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold that to the end, firm to the end. How can you have conditional clauses? How can that work with the fact that what we receive is grace and mercy? It's undeserved. It's not merited. How can you reconcile that with the fact that it is the key is that he was heard? It's, it's not about us being heard enough. If he were not heard, we, we would have no hope. It's because Christ did it. He went before us and lived perfectly. And gave us his perfection. So, so how do conditional clauses enter into that equation? They, they are in scripture. You can't say they're not there. You, these are two of the plainest in the book of Hebrews in chapter 3. We are his house. We have come to share in Christ. If, and both of those have if clauses. So how does that work? And as we talked about then... I think it continues to not be a contradiction and oxymoron. It doesn't have to be if God is the fulfiller of the condition, which is exactly what I think Scripture teaches. God who begins the work, finishes the work. And what does the finish of that work look like? The finish of that work look like is He keeps us with our confidence and our boast in Christ. Perfectly? No, there may be some wavering, but it is there. In the end, it is there. We don't deny it. We don't walk away from it. Our confession or our boast is in him. He fulfills the condition. It, it, is, it is shown in scriptures out of the book of Philippians where it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it doesn't stop there, does it? It says, for it is God. It is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. And what is his good pleasure? That his children hold fast their confidence and boast to the end. 
It's important to see that. It's important to see that that's the tension that arises in Hebrews. That's why there are texts in the book of Hebrews like these, because there are people who would be a part of churches who have really not come to life and and, uh, need to be warned. This morning, the warning will come, and we'll look at the warning this morning. And that warning is found in the text. Um, The problem is found in the text. We want to break it down in two different parts. First of all, we want to look at the problem, the problem that is here that the text talks about. And secondly, the remedy for the problem. But the problem in the text, the disease, if you will, is dullness of hearing. Look at the text. It says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Warnings in Scripture like this is because we need to be warned, don't become dull of hearing. Don't don't let dull of hearing plague you and continue in you. Be shaken out of that. That's the problem that they found here. And what was happening in the Hebrew people was what had once been clear to them was now becoming foggy. What was once crystal clear to them in many ways was was really foggy to them. They were having trouble. They were struggling. If you go over to chapter 10 and verse 32, look at what it says there. This is the description of these Hebrew people, these Hebrew professing believers here in earlier days. It says in verse 32, But recall the former days when after you had, were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, therefore do not throw away your confidence." Now, he wouldn't have said, don't throw away your confidence, and he could have added boast or confession to it. He wouldn't have said it, were not they in danger of doing that. And the reason they were in danger of doing that is because of dullness of hearing. They weren't hearing what they needed to hear. And so he comes to them, and this really is the the center point of all of Hebrews because it really puts its finger on what the problem is. It's alluded to it before. It's, It's given admonitions, two other admonitions, two other warnings, but it's never really said what the root of the problem was. And here now the Hebrew writer to the Hebrews comes and says, it is because you have become dull of hearing. You're not hearing something that you need to hear. And what he wants to do in this text now, as you come to the end of verse 10, um, what he's talked about there were some things about, about Jesus Christ in the order of Melchizedek, the high priest Melchizedek of the Old Testament. And what he wants to do is he wants to teach them more about how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek from the Old Testament. But he realizes because they're dull of hearing, they won't hear it. So he stops to say, be shaken out of the dullness. I have many glorious things to tell you, but you can't hear them now because you won't hear them now. You are dull of hearing. If you look at chapter 7, what he will do after we're through these difficult places here, this warning, he will go right into talking about Melchizedek. But before he can do that, before he can go there, he's got to shake them out of this dullness of hearing. 
And the implications of that, I mean, there's, there's no other way to look at this text than the implications of that if they do not stop being dull of hearing. The implications is that ultimately they could be lost. Not because they were true believers and lost, but because they, they thought they were, but they weren't. And the evidence of whether they were true, whether they were born again, whether they really had come to life was perseverance and not letting dullness of hearing win the day. Does wavering come as we walk with Christ? Yes. But we don't stay there. The point is, he's warning them, don't stay there. It is dangerous to stay there. Be shaken out of it. And later he will affirm that he's hopeful that they won't stay there. But he warns them nonetheless. That's the pattern that we get in the book of Hebrews, a warning that comes to him. And we want to look at it this morning. Now let me stop a minute here for you who've been among us for lots of lots of months and years and multitudes of years maybe you, you've heard me say many times that that the gospel is for believers the gospel is for believers now what he's going to talk about here in this he's going to talk about you can't get solid food because you need milk in other words you you got to you you can't go to the solid food of melchizedek because you need milk it's all you can take right now now, the question people have asked me at times when I've said the gospel is for believers, they said, um, is, is, what about this text? Isn't the gospel the milk and something else the solid food? And the point I want to say to you is no, it's not. It's not that one is the gospel and the other is the things you add to the gospel or the other things you learn about God beyond the gospel. The point that I would make to you, and I think this text can support it, is you never get beyond the gospel. You never get beyond it. And in fact, part of their problem is they aren't getting it. They aren't getting it. They aren't glorying in it. They aren't savoring it. They aren't taking the milk and, and taking it in as they ought to take it in. But whether it's milk or solid food, it is all about gospel because the message of this book is about Christ. And Christ is at the center of the gospel. What he has done is the center message of this book and how he's the fulfillment. And part of the solid food is you see deeper realities of that fulfillment. You see broader ways in which Christ is that fulfillment, but it is all gospel. So you don't take the gospel and get it, and then you go on to other things, and that's a dangerous thing. It is so dangerous to do that. You need the gospel continually. And in fact, to know how to to take in the gospel, whether it be milk or solid food, is the key to not becoming dull of hearing. Because when you're dull of hearing, you don't take it in as you should. You may know it intellectually, but it doesn't get to the heart level. And that's where they were at here. They, they, they were dull of hearing because they weren't appropriating the truth that had been given to them. The scripture says that by now they should be teachers. In other words, they should know this stuff. They should, they should know it so that they can teach it and desire to give it to others, not, not in a formal teaching setting, but be able to declare it to others because it's so glorious to them. But it's not. The implications is it's not glorious to them. It's not good news to them. They don't see it that way. They don't, they don't understand 
Christ. And, and what's in danger of here is, is therefore because Christ is not glorious enough, there's danger of them going back to Judaism. The danger of them going back to the Judaism that they came out of. At one time, they saw the glory of Christ and, and stepped out of Judaism to embrace him as the fulfillment. But because they didn't continue seeing him as glorious, there's danger that they're going to go back. And it's because they become dull of hearing. The pressures have come on them. And so what I want to do here is to talk about the remedy for that. That's the problem. The problem is not the milk. The problem is the dullness of hearing. The problem is not properly drinking the milk so that they can progressively go on to more solid food, which is all gospel. All gospel. You know, it's not, it's not a matter of intellect, Christianity. It's not a matter of IQ. There's something else, and that's what we find in the remedy. It's, it's not about IQ. It's about how you drink the milk, how you drink it as it comes in, to make proper use of it. And, and what they needed to do is they needed to hear the promises. I would, I would move you to our existence statement here at Richland because I want to change, I want to change the word. The word is hear, dullness of hearing. But I think it can also have the, the illustration of sight. They aren't seeing some things they need to see. They aren't seeing some things the way they need to see them. They need to hear and savor. They need to see and savor. The problem is they're not they're not seeing good enough to savor, and they're not savoring. The scripture says if they were, something would happen. Look at verse 13. It says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. In other words, because they're not properly using the milk and they've been on it too long because they're not really getting the nutrition they need to get from it, so they progressively move on. They're unskilled in righteousness. They're unskilled in righteousness, the word of righteousness. What does that mean? What does that text mean? What is it about the milk and the gospel that should skill us in righteousness? I think there's two dimensions of that here. One is understanding the basis of that righteousness. Um, Understanding what the righteousness of Christ is all about, that Christ is our righteousness. That's a key part of what it means being unskilled in the word of righteousness. Um, there's an illustration that I've used multitudes of times in this congregation, and I, I'm going to use it again because we have new people here, and uh, we'll reference it often. But what they're, what they're not understanding is they're not understanding the, the, the idea that I talked about a little earlier here, that he was heard, that it's his work, that it, he finished a work. You see, the gospel is about a righteousness that comes from outside of us. It's a righteousness that was accomplished by Jesus in the fact that as he cried out to God and God heard him and helped him and he lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and was raised from the dead as confirmation that he did it all perfectly and that it was finished, he now has a perfection, literally has a perfection to give to us a righteousness, if you will, a perfect righteousness, which in the past I have illustrated by this particular handkerchief. If this were us, if this were us, 
we are not righteous. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and, and in order to get to heaven, must be perfect. But the problem is we have all failed. We have no opportunity in ourselves to be perfect. But there's a second way that God has made for us to be perfect. And that's to take the perfection of another. That's the righteousness. This is what Christ accomplished, a perfection, if you will, that he is willing to give us. And so he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. Pastor Jason alluded to that scripture this morning. He who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And he gives us that. If you will, he dresses us in those robes of righteousness. At the same time, we are unrighteous, but he gives us perfection. So God sees us as perfect. He also begins to change us. The, the, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, entering into us. That's what happens at that point when we pass from spiritual death to spiritual life. The Holy Spirit quickens us or brings us to life and enters into our life. As this covers us, this underneath us, our actual life begins to be made righteous, begins to be changed, if you will. But there's never a point at which this change is enough and sufficient to be heard, if you will. The word that I said in the beginning, he was heard. It's incredibly important that he was heard or this will have no benefit to us. You see, the reason this benefits us is because God hears the son who's now at his right hand interceding for those he has covered with his righteousness, who's given his righteousness. But there's never a point where we can say, okay, I've gotten to the point now that I can be heard because of my righteousness. That will never happen. Will never happen. And that's fundamentally, I think, what these people in, that are being written to have to understand, first of all. They have to understand the basis of righteousness. The basis of righteousness is not them returning back to their Judaism and trying to conjure it up themselves and somehow make themselves righteous. And they are in danger of stepping away from the true righteousness, a true way to be righteous, and going back to a way that won't be heard. They're in danger of stepping away from the way that is heard because Jesus accomplished it to a way that will not be heard. And that's the warning. He says, you are not skilled in the word of righteousness. If you're thinking about going back, you don't understand that. And then also, it has to do, I think, with, with the idea that, that real righteousness does begin to have. Not perfect, but we do begin to be renewed. And, and as those two things happen, as we have this, and God begins to change us, the scripture says a couple, something happens in this. Um, let me read it to you. It says, For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who by their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice, distinguish good from evil. There's a sense in which we begin to discern good from evil as God begins to change us, as we stay covered in the righteousness of God, and we understand that this is our only hope. This is the only righteousness God will hear. God the Father will hear his righteousness for us. But he also begins to change us. So we begin to grow in that understanding. We begin to understand what's false and what's true. And what is false is turning back. What's false is looking to any other way. What's true is continuing in the righteousness of Christ, 
continuing in our confession and our boast that this is the only righteousness that will suffice. And you see, these people had that stunted because they weren't hearing the promises. They weren't hearing them in the sense that they were taking in those promises and they were savoring those promises and they helped them to know the difference between false and true. So, the conclusion is this. The conclusion is this. The remedy is simple in one way, in many ways. It's, it's a simple remedy that we take in the milk, that we hear the promises, we hear them, we get away from the dullness of hearing, we hear them, we take them in, we see them, if you will, but then we begin to savor them. You see, the gospel is for believers. It's for unbelievers, certainly, but it is for believers. We need to constantly savor gospel promises. Be reminded of where our righteousness lie. Be reminded of who it is important that God hears. It's not about him hearing us as we turn back to our own ability to try to save ourselves, but it is incredibly important that he hears the Son. And you see, that's part of what's savoring. The reason I started by going back is that exactly an example of savoring. That's exactly the thing that will strengthen your heart and will cause you not to fall prey to dullness of hearing, is when you begin to see promises, you begin to see gospel promises in words like, he was heard. And you start to contemplate what it means that Jesus was heard. He was heard when he cried out for help to live perfectly, but he goes on being heard forever as he reminds the Father of who he died for. That's a gospel promise. And you just start savoring that. When, when your sin rises up to condemn you, you go back and you remind yourself that Jesus was heard. And my confession and my boast stands firmly on the fact that he was heard and is continuing to be heard. You see, that's what he's going to do as he moves from milk to solid food. He's going to take us to Melchizedek and he's going to show us how Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek that goes on being heard and is worthy of being heard. And you see, those kinds of promises, when you understand the basis of your righteousness and you get that started and you get that milk and you keep drinking it, you grow in an understanding of how Christ is the fulfillment of all that's written. And it strengthens your soul. And the interesting thing is the worship team comes and we close this morning is that, that you move from seeing or hearing, hearing and seeing, to savoring, to savoring so that you want to declare it. I wanted to declare to you this morning, not, not just because I'm a pastor, because I'm a believer. I wanted, to, I wanted to take you to this text that says, he was heard. I want you to go this week and have those words ring in your ears, he was heard. You see, there's a, something that happens within us when, when we go and take the milk properly and we savor it and we move on that we want other people to know it. We all have different personalities. We'll, we'll flesh that out in different ways and we'll have different opportunities. But you see, these people should have been teaching They should have been telling people about that text that he was heard. But they weren't. And the reason they weren't is because they've become dull of hearing. They weren't savoring the 
text. They weren't hearing the text and savoring them and tasting them. And so, people, I admonish you this morning, don't let dullness of hearing continue. If you're not savoring the gospel, open your ears and hear. Open your ears and hear the glory of this message. You see, that's what it's saying. And a little later, Paul's going to say something like, in verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. But it doesn't stop him from warning him. What he's going to say later is, I'm sure you're in the kingdom. But he still warns him. You see, that's the rhythm of Scripture. There's a place for warning. To shake believers, true believers, out of dullness of hearing. It's God's means to do it. When's the last time you savored the gospel? When's the last time you you had a text and it was rich to you and it brought joy to your heart, strengthening joy? Don't let it be long. Don't let it be far apart in your days. We need to be a people who savor the glory of Christ. That's the remedy. That's the remedy. We're going to sing a song that just declares, I hope what is in your heart this morning, that all I have is Christ. Let's stand. I once was lost in darkest night, yet thought I knew the way. The sin that promised joy in life had led me to the grave. I had no hope that you would own or able to your will. And if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. But as I
to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to keep you from persisting in dullness of hearing and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory because the father hears him with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. And all the people said, Amen. Go in God's peace.